0: Two um, phenomenal guests uh, today. Uh, well, yeah, KJ Noh is a journalist and scholar of geopolitics and senior correspondent for KPFA Flashpoints. KJ has been on the show before talking about the same um, issue, which has not gone away and does not show too many signs of going away, which is the Meng Wanzhou case. Um, and I'm also joined this time uh, to add even more uh muscle to this um, broadcast by Julie Tung, a retired San Francisco Superior Court judge. So we will have the legal, we will have all the legal knowledge that you could possibly want Uh, as well as a peace activist, co-founder of Pivot to Peace and the Comfort Women Justice Coalition. So thank you both for joining me. So Thank you, Justin.
1: Thank you, Justin.
0: So we are here to talk about this uh, Meng Wanzhou case because uh, it is now August. Um, The final stages, uh, I guess, the evidence has been heard. The judgment has been reserved. Um, We can talk about what that means. Uh, This is a process that began on December, uh, what, December 1st? December 31st?
1: About that time. We're two and a half years into this process.
0: December 2018, Mm -hmm. uh, Meng Wanzhou is uh, transiting through uh, Vancouver Airport um, on route to Mexico for a holiday, I think, um, and passed through several countries on her way, uh, none of whom decided to detain her on behalf of the United States except for uh, Canada, which is uh, now become as a result a pretty frightening place to travel through, because uh, the United States can in secret decide that they want uh, you for something, and Canada now has shown that they will nab you as a result. Um, do you, uh, KJ? Do you want to talk a bit? I, I think both of us, all three of us, maybe, but but let's talk a little bit about the arrest itself. The 20, let's just go over some of the horrendous, scandalous violations of procedure and human rights uh, that went into this um, arrest in the first place in 2018.
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, kind of a mind-boggling case, but she was uh, arrested in 2018 as she was transiting Vancouver on a flight to Mexico. The arrest was made on the demand of the U.S. government's uh, U.S. Uh, New York District Court. Uh, And the original charge was fraud and conspiracy to commit fraud to circumvent U.S. sanctions on Iran, And we can say more about that later because Canada not, does not have sanctions on Iran. Meng Wanju is a Chinese citizen uh, and HSBC, the bank which is implicated, is uh, a British bank. And any transactions were conducted in Hong Kong. So there's uh, a level of absurdity uh, which is already in play right from the get go. But um, there are serious... Uh, procedural issues uh, in her uh, detainment. The, the first thing was that uh, she was held uh, in at the airport uh, for an inordinately long time without being arrested. And it was uh, Canadian uh, Customs that was essentially interrogating her. They took all her devices from her and then uh, with a with a straight face, uh, they claimed that they accidentally provided her uh, passwords uh, to the FBI, and so already
0: oh, yes, already so, the yes, and they they told the court that yes, they, they have yes. told that like they have told this to the court, which means they were under oath, and they said we detained her, we took her stuff, we demanded her passwords. And we accidentally gave them all to the FBI, which was asking for them before we arrested her, before any due process rights came into play.
1: Exactly. So, you know, if they had notified her and we know that, uh, you know, Canadian police was uh, were just waiting in the wings, uh, if they wanted to arrest her and if the arrest had had any legitimacy, you know, they could have just uh, notified her that she was being arrested And then her due process rights would have kicked in. But instead, for a period of many hours, uh, you know, they kind of let her down uh, a wild goose chase, you know, trying to get her to release uh, her electronic devices to them, which she did. And then uh, all of that information, you know, was somehow we don't know what was transmitted, but at the very least, her passcodes, her passwords were transmitted to the FBI. And then after that was done, uh, then they decided that she uh, was going to be arrested. So it's extraordinary. The, at the moment when it happened, the response of the Chinese government was that this was lawless, reasonless, ruthless, extremely vicious.
2: You know, at the stage when um, the border, Canadian border, was transferring Mount Wanzhou to the um, Canadian Royal Police, um, it was actually um, tra- from a, it, it, the entire process is actually a diplomatic process because jurisdiction is pursuant to treaty and the treaty has specific conditions in which the two countries would follow. And as a treaty that recognizes in, in, in the uh, treaty itself, that it would be diplomatic means to extradite a person. And what they would do is that in America, they would contact the just minister of justice first and get their okay, and then they would transfer the person. Canada has no business in trying to gather evidence for America. It is a, truly an abusive process. And extension yeah, of their duties to do so. The proper thing to do is that they look at Ma Wenjiao, recognize her, identify her, and then and give her all the rights that she ha- She's entitled to because um, a, a fugitive is entitled to all the due process rights as any defendants are entitled to in can- uh, in Canada under the treaty and under Canadian rule. So the thing is to just deliver her over to the Canadian police and be done with it. They have no business to finago and do all the stuff that they were doing at the border. It is really a shameful thing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's it's amazing, too, because Canada knew that this was a VIP. Like, she had been flagged at whatever high the highest levels. Um, all of this stuff has emerged in court, right? Like, they knew and they made this decision Um in Vancouver, presumably, if the U.S. Uh, had this, you know, claim against Huawei, really not even her specifically that they were um, violating their their Iran sanctions, they um, they there's no like special reason for Canada to get involved, right? Like she had passed through many other countries and would pass, you know, and was planning to pass through more, like. It's it's just yeah it's just so it's just such a it's just such a such a big and momentous decision by Canada it seems to me to do this that... yeah
2: you made a good point yeah. Justin that all the other countries or, or entities that have been charged with uh, Iran sanctions it is always the company that has been charged with and it's always ended in civil fines. Yeah. For example, recently, um, the U.S. Treasury Department uh, announced there was a California company, um, on behalf of its former Finnish subsidiary, violated some sanctions, and they paid four hundred seventy-three thousand dollars civil penalty, and it was on account of some re-export of U.S. exported control test measurements equipment to Iran, and then in Boston, same similar allegations, uh, paid um, a company paid. Eight million dollars. Even Bertha Hathaway, <laughs> a big, big. Oh, Berkshire person. Hathaway. That's Warren Buffett's yeah, pay, uh, investment. Pay for, yeah, they pay for four point one million dollars in October twenty twenty. There are many, many more examples where the DOJ would um, uh, hold the uh, sanctions uh, over the, you know, uh, over these companies. But it always ended in civil sanctions, and rarely is the head of a company personally. Uh, deemed accountable for it. And if you look at just the basic general corporate law, uh, when you charge um, the corporations, you rarely charge the CEO because the CEO is deemed to be working on behalf of the um, of the corporations and doing business on behalf of the corporations. Right. So this is a very selective pr- uh, prosecution uh, in so far as Huawei is concerned. That Which means... is yeah. selectively prosecuted as a criminal case, even under similar allegations of Iran sanction violations,
0: which means maybe there's something special about Huawei, the company uh, for which Meng Wanzhou works, uh, and maybe uh, KJ, we should uh, we should talk a bit about that. Hmm?
1: Yes, well, Huawei is a global technological powerhouse. It it you know it represents Chinese ascendancy, Chinese technical process, which the U.S. is hell bent on destroying. And over the past three years, we've seen the extraordinary extent that the U.S. has gone to destroy Huawei's business part of the reason is because the US does not want a competitor in a field that it wants to be uh, that it wants, you know, supremacy in but the other reason is because uh, Huawei builds out uh, the internet backbone in particular the upcoming and current 5G backbone which is the new generation of uh, internet and what as a Chinese company, they're not amenable to the kind of spying that the United States wants. Or it's It's widely understood that most American uh, corporations uh, are required to uh, create backdoors for the NSA. And this is, you know, well established. Uh, Guo Ping, the chairman of of Huawei, said if the NSA wants to modify routers or switches uh, in order to eavesdrop, a Chinese company would be unlikely to cooperate. And he said Huawei has not and will not uh, ever plant backdoors. So this is one of the reasons why they went after Huawei. Of course, the other reason is because Donald Trump was uh, engaged in a trade war with China as part of its general hybrid war against China and Meng was kidnapped as a pawn as a hostage to exert pressure on Huawei and that in and of itself you know is really the um essence of uh criminality that is the international convention against the taking of hostages this is a UN convention this says that any person who seizes or detains uh, a person in order to compel a state to do an an act as an explicit or implicit condition for the release of the hostage commits, the offense of hostage taking. Donald Trump went on to public media and said, Meng Wanzhou is a bargaining chip. He explicitly stated that he was using her as a bargaining chip in order to get uh, advantage in his negotiations. So, with Julie,
0: China. Can, Julie, can you uh, can you just talk about what a big deal that is from a legal perspective? Yeah, it is
1: a big
2: deal. First of all, a judge has a wide discretion in a case like this, because the um, the treaty specifically spelled out political cases are not amenable to extradition. And, um, and a minister of justice should also abide by that. Now, there, uh, Trump was, like uh, KJ said, was very forthright about it when he commented that he would intervene if China uh, gave him a good trade deal. I don't know how much clearer that is. We know Trump, he mouths off a lot of things. But what he said in this instance was extremely relevant to the political motivation of the case itself. U.S. and China were in a trade deal at that time, and if the judge relied on Trump's statement to declare this is a political case, this is not done without legal precedence. In 2018, a United States federal judge in San Francisco, Elsa, he blocked uh, the uh, U.S. administration's attempt to face out DACA. DACA is um, deferred action for childhood arrivals. It protects the young and undocumented immigrants from deportation. And federal Judge Alsop made a decision after finding that Trump had made favorable comments about the DACA program. This is what Trump said in a tweet, quote, Does anybody really want to throw out good, educated, and accomplished young people who have jobs, some serving in the military? Really? All right. And the president wrote in in a September 14, 2017 tweet. He wrote another tweet. Congress now has six months to legalize DACA. If they can't, I will revisit this issue. The judge basically wrote, so Judge Elsa wrote in his opinion for his holding, he said, for the reasons DACA was instituted and for the reasons tweeted by President Trump, this order finds that the public interest will be served by DACA's continuation. Now, um, an immigration law professor at the University of Southern California, Niels Frenson, he said that. We've never had a president tweeting like this. You have these extreme public statements that are shedding light on the motivation of the president in regard to why he is directing cabinet secretaries to engage in these actions. The courts are saying these are fair game, and it is a fair game. And if um, if uh, Judge Holmes make a decision based on what she read, what the president said, and a sign that that is evidence of motivation. For the extradition, she's home free, just by simply relying on Trump's statements to free Meng, and um, and there is legal precedence for it.
0: So, I I mean I don't uh, what can I say I am not super optimistic about this Canadian judge, but I wonder does Trump's if if Meng is extradited to the U S. will this potentially be? Uh, Useful argument um, in a U.S. court? Yes, this absolutely, change? I do. Yeah.
1: But I'll let uh, KJ uh,
0: address that.
1: Well, I'm, I'm a little. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Judge Tang, you know, is uh, is a judge, so she knows what she's talking about. But I'm watching the trajectory of this case, and I'm not at all optimistic that uh, Meng will receive any justice. Clearly. From you know the case itself, the procedural uh, failings, uh, the the political nature of the extradition, political cases are not extraditable, uh, and then we can go into this in more detail. But simply the fact that even the contrived case of fraud has completely fallen to pieces, given all of these facts. The fact that she is still under some kind of uh, detention uh, speaks very, very poorly to the entire judicial process. And I see, uh, you know, this as a continuum. I see that what is really on trial here is not Meng Wanzhou, but the entire uh, Anglo-American system of uh,
0: of the judiciary. Yeah, yeah exactly. About yeah, the myth, yeah. the mythology of the independent judiciary, right? Exactly. When these kinds mm-hmm. of things are at stake. So, like, you know, I, I always, I know that when, um, when Meng was first detained in 2018, the sales of this book, "The American Trap," uh, by Robert Pirucci, went up in China. Like millions of people bought this book because it's a French executive um, who, unlike Meng Wanzhou, I think you know admits in his book that his company yeah. was engaged in some. Uh, shady dealings, which Huawei, there's absolutely no evidence of of that. Like they're just doing business in Iran, like full stop, and that's enough to trigger the U.S. Uh, pretext for this. But um, Pierucci basically was was held hostage. He was arrested in New York. Uh, and put in jail and, and basically like he talks about the plea, the nature of plea bargaining and how like nobody ever goes to trial and his lawyers repeatedly told him don't go to trial, nobody goes to trial, you, ju- you just have to plead so he, he did like 14 months or something in, in a US jail. Um, ultimately, the part the deal that was made by his multinational, one of the biggest multinational companies was for them to hand over their entire like energy production in France to General Electric. So, um, you know, and this he he cites several examples of German companies, Japanese companies. Um, they're trying to do it to Chinese companies to basically use the treasury uh, and like. This the whole method of the judicial, like perse- prosecuting um, allied or you know friendly or in some in the Chinese case like rival uh, corporations to take over the in- these industries through this kind of judicial weapon. Um, Absolutely, and, yes, you
1: know. Jason. I mean, uh, I mean, it's essentially lawfare, yeah. legal warfare, or corporate lawfare used as an economic weapon against American competitors. And as you point out in the case of Alstom, uh, you know, Pierucci went to prison for uh, two years, uh, including a maximum security prison. So they were really putting the screws on him yeah. and they forced Alstom, you know, essentially to give up uh, its uh, business to General Electric.
0: Yeah. And then, and then the other thing that the U.S. has with China is they have this rage towards China because... Without China, they would be able to use sanctions to just completely bring countries like Iran or Cuba or Venezuela uh, to their knees, and they would come and beg for any deal that the U.S. would give them, Uh, whereas China kind of does business with these countries, and that stops um, them from being completely economically strangled. Uh, That's and, absolutely true, yeah. yes.
1: I think that probably the best example of that, Iran and Venezuela, of course, but also North Korea. North Korea would yeah. have been choked out if yeah. it had not had uh, Chinese support.
0: Yeah, and and Afghanistan's probably you know on, the, on that list too soon. Um,
2: you know, country. the effects of the warfare can be lost among our allies. When I said my, our allies, I mean United States allies. Yeah. I mean the Elston case has to do with a French national, yeah, and um and and the continuing use of uh, of the financial system, of uh, yes. the U.S. financial system to claim jurisdiction over foreign nationals again can be lost among our allies also, and it would stoke I think a lot of fear. For example, in this case, um, like as um, KJ said. Meng Wanzhou is a Chinese citizen who had a business meeting with a British owned bank HSBC at a tea house in Hong Kong, a Chinese territory, ended up being arrested in Canada, facing extradition to the US. How does the US gain jurisdiction over her and the case? And in the beginning of the case, a lot of commentators were cheering the arrest and said it was the right thing to do to contain China and its um, unfair technological competition and claim that the United States was exercising rightfully its long-arm personal jurisdiction. Well, the long-arm statute allows the United States to arrest someone living outside of the United States if the person and the crime has sufficient connection to the US. But I mean, that I, I'm not going to even comment on that statute, which is the law, you know. But in this case, there was neither, except there was this swift code system. And this yeah. system, facilitates international financial transactions between parties. And in this instance, HSBC used the SWIFT code. SWIFT, I think stands for Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. It's basically a private company that was started in Belgium and is used in the United States. So it becomes like a United States company. But what it does is that it digitally clears money transactions for its clients. And HSBC uses the SWIFT and uses this system to, um, you know, transact money uh, with Huawei. So um, the United States declares that the SWIFT system supplies sufficient connection between Meng Wanzhou and the United States to arrest her for an alleged violation of US law. And this yeah. sanction, um, it, it's it's really, um, I, I think that uh, our allies uh, probably are taking notice right now. Because if, if they can do that to anyone doing business outside of, United, outside of the United States, they, they can do it to anybody. And, um, and, and this is a legal fiction. Uh, when you yeah. talk about a long arm statute that a foreign national can be transported to the US because the company she did business with transport her money using an American financial system. And the yeah. fiction is maintained because of the power and the of the United States. That allow the u.s to apply its local laws to foreign nationals and i think her yeah. case would serve as a landmark case that exposes this kind of questionable legal practice i'm not a financial expert but i think that um, the effects of this would um would really bring people uh, or um, countries to take notice and um and and many of them would Probably develop its own rules and regulations so that they can avoid participating in this financial system, and what yeah. it does and its effect on the U.S. dollar it could be could be immense going down the line. And China is already adopting its own, own digital digital um, financial system, and I think other countries are going to um, trade yeah. with China using renminbi. and I think it would expedite that kind of process.
0: Yeah, I mean the so, U.S. again always wants it both ways. They want everybody to use this system, and then they want to be able to use the system to say you're doing unique harm to America when you do business with Iran that has nothing to do with with the U.S.
2: Yeah, but Absolutely. I think that this is yes. another, another mm-hmm. way that the United States you know put it, throw a stone on his own feet, and and it may work for a short while, but in a long while, you know, with all the talked about Biden's, Biden's talk about developing the allies relationships, I think it's going to actually pull us, pull us away from those relationships.
0: Well, let's talk about how this poor, innocent um, bank known as the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation, which was created through the most innocent uh, business um, in 1865 when when Britain was doing nothing but good over in China, right? They, they went and stopped opium from it. What, what was the opium? There was an opium war, right? And they were, they went over there to do a humanitarian intervention or something. What, you know, I've heard,
1: I've heard rumors of that, <laughs> that, you know, somehow the British
0: were trying to palliate the sufferings of the poor of Chinese. Chinese yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so this bank that was created, you know, basically through the opium war, uh, You know, an opium war funding. Um, It's become it's the it's it's the victim now of big, bad Huawei. Right. So let's talk about uh, KJ. Maybe you could start like let's talk about the fraud allegation and how it how it has played out in the case.
1: Yes. um, Just a quick comment. I mean, uh, HSBC, you know, from its inception has been a platform for drug trafficking. And it was that until very, very recently. Question, is it a victim or a collaborator? I mean, that's the question that the judge asked. But the way that the U.S. structured its case was to argue Initially, they wanted to say that uh, Huawei and Meng Wanzhou were guilty of sanctions violations. But that story collapsed very, very rapidly for the very simple reason that U.S. sanctions on Iran are actually illegal from an international standpoint. <laughs> so and that's for the, awkward. That's awkward. And for the U.S. to implicate or adjudicate or to pressure other countries to arrest people on the basis of uh, sanctions that are illegal if, for example Canada has no sanctions against Iran it actually encourages businesses to do you know uh, trade with Iran so that's very very awkward and so then the United States had to come up after having her arrested uh, they had to come up with uh, another, Pretext, and so the pretext was that she had lied to HSBC, uh, and because of this lie, uh, that she had defrauded the bank. She had lied so that she could continue business, and she had defrauded the bank, and therefore she should be a- a- extradited. Now, once again, as you point out, the bank was H. The bank was British. The crime happened. Crime happened in Hong Kong. The accused was a Chinese national. The arrest was in a Canadian transit zone. How does U.S. law apply here? This is the question. And also, who was defrauded of how much? What was the harm? Nobody can answer these questions. But the simple fact is that because the U.S. claimed that there was dollar clearing, uh, uh, that Uh, that would have transited New York for a few milliseconds uh, that the U.S. had standing to claim uh, that she should be extradited. Um, So uh, does the fraud claim stand up? Well, the first thing we know is that fraud is uh, a lie plus harm. What we've seen in this trial demonstrably beyond uh, a reasonable doubt is first, uh, there was no lie because HSBC knew exactly what it was getting into and that Huawei had uh, told them uh, that they were doing business with Iran through Skycom. There was no deceit on that level. There's nothing that has shown that there was any deceit uh, to um, uh, to HSBC. Uh, On the other hand, it's been shown quite clearly that the U.S. government case was full of deceit, that it had removed and hidden exculpatory documents. Uh, the second piece of fraud is that there has to be some kind of damage. There has to be some kind of harm or even a risk of harm. And once again, you know, while, uh, HSBC's own risk committee said, there is no risk of harm and nobody in the courtroom has been able to show that HSBC has been subjected to any harm. So the whole notion of fraud, this case, collapses because they cannot show it
0: on any grounds. and this is what the judge said, right? The judge said to the u s. Uh, lawyers. she said, Isn't this kind of a weird uh, case of for fraud because there's no demonstrable harm? And it seems like people in HSBC already knew that. Uh, Huawei was doing business in Iran. That's law- exactly, yes. And That's the lawyer exactly. said, well, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then they just left it at that.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so they just left it at that, which is both uh, interesting and also ominous from my uh, how I see it. But essentially, Holmes said, uh, Holmes said, the judge said, that the alleged victim, a large institution, appears to have had a number of people who had all the facts, meaning the people knew what was going on. And then she said, is it reasonable to assume that they would just rely on, you know, one person's assurance when they have massive risk assessment committees that are looking uh, into the deals and the transactions? And Huawei has been, you know, uh, a 15-year client of HSBC, one of their largest clients. And uh, the PowerPoint points out that Skycom is... A business partner, uh, and that Huawei uh, said that their relationship was completely controllable. So all of these statements, they undercut the US prosec- prosecutor's uh, narrative. They, they really do not have a case anymore. So then the question is, why are they still continuing with this argument? Uh, if the yes,
0: go ahead. Yeah, just because I, I want to just go back to the way this judge Holmes has behaved because mm-hmm. it's consistent with what happened earlier. Because I remember, I think Hmong's lawyers said, "Hey, uh, the 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 crime that she's charged with committing is not a crime in Canada, i.e., uh, violating Iran sanctions. So there's that's also not a grounds for extradition." And the judge said, yeah, that's kind of true, but I'm going to go ahead anyway. So it's like the the judge keeps conceding that the arguments for the prosecution aren't there and then ruling in favor of the U.S. anyway, which is like very Canadian for, for those. I know you guys don't know Canada, but but that no, is it's quintessentially that, 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 Canadian behavior.
2: That was a very surprising ruling um, all the legal pundits have. Thought it was a no-brainer that when you have in, in a treaty clearly delineating the standards for extradition is that both countries have you know have the same crime and um, uh, on their list, and if the crimes do not exist in one of the countries, then there is no uh, basis for extradition. And but this court, I think. Um, you know, there are some judges, and I hate to say it this way, that they, they have the decision in their mind, so they'll do everything to try to get there. And I think this is pretty much that, because the decision, how she got there, is so contortionist. It's like the Tristan and the bands and, you know, all the all the shapes that you have to go through in order to get pr- pr- produce some kind of a shape and form. Um, That sounds like what she's doing during the hearing itself on the determination of the uh, double criminality rule. The judge first rejected the first argument from the Crown Attorney that fraud alleged by the prosecution could be applied singly without reference to U.S. sanctions. The judge was correct in rejecting that argument. But while acknowledging that Canada does not have a sanctions law against Iran upon which a person could be punished, she somehow found that the U.S. sanctions law is not an essential element of the crime. I don't know how you could do that, and that is mere context and environment can be applied to the offender only to explain how HSBC is put at risk. Uh, does that make sense to you or anybody who's listening?
0: <laughs> yeah, KJ was saying it's like a kind of compassion. Like we have to understand the oh. we have to understand the U.S. perspective here. That that. Yeah, you have no, to understand us the U.S. perspective, okay?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, but who cares? You know, it is the law. It's the rule of law. But she's this is what she stated in her opinion. The essence of the alleged wrongful conduct in this case is the making of intentionally false statements in the banker-client relationship that puts HSBC at risk. The U.S. sanctions are part of the state of affairs necessary to explain how HSBC was at risk but they, are not in them, but they are not themselves an intrinsic, intrinsic part of the conduct. So okay. given her analysis, the concept of independent sovereignty is blurred, and it also befuddles legal experts that she could take away the most essential element in the charges, which is the violation of Iran's sanctions and narrowly found double criminality on the fraud charge alone. You know, we are taught as judges to look for the ordinary or plain meaning of the statutory text, And in this case, the text of the treaty, where a term is not expressly defined in the statute, then the courts will assume that the lawmakers uses common words in their popular meaning as used in the common speech of men. So in Article 2 of the treaty, it says, person shall be delivered up according to the provisions of this treaty, blah, 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 blah. And provided that these offenses are punishable by the laws of both contracting parties by a term of imprisonment exceeding one year. Now, if Meng is charged with fraud against HSBC in violation of the U.S. sanctions in Canada, she could never be convicted of the charges because the jury will receive an instruction that before they can even find fraud, they must first find there are certain U.S. sanctions against Iran for which she has violated. Make sense? You know the law, then you have to find whether there's any violation of that law, right, through fraud. And these are the essential elements in establishing a crime against Meng. Canada does not criminalize those acts alleged to be uh, to be committed by Meng acts against Iranian sanctions, but Judge Holmes basically said she could by subjugating Canadian law under U.S. law, bringing it within the Canadian legal framework, even though Meng could not have been found guilty in Canada of violating U.S. sanctions. So um, it yeah. is very contortionist. But I think we need to also go back a little bit and explain yeah. the process of an extradition uh, hearing. It is not a trial. So um, it, it it and, and and the basis is to determine whether within the treaty itself, those requirements have been met. And the requirement of double criminality was one of those requirements that men should have been exonerated and, and be freed. But the uh, Judge Holmes did not see fit to do that. So the next step we're going to is to determine whether there's enough evidence to extradite her. And the evidence is based on a prima facie showing of the evidence. Now, this prima facie showing is a very, very low standard uh, within the uh, the parameters of all the standards that we need to convict somebody or to find somebody liable in the civil law. So it is a a very low standard. But even as low as it it is, it has to have integrity. It has to have some reasonable evidence to support the extradition itself. And at this point, from what I read and what I determined from the uh, closing arguments and what the um, uh, Crown Counsel has been able to prove up, there doesn't appear to be. And in fact, at one point, when the judge kept pushing the uh, prosecutor, asking him what conducts were sanctionable and what was not by asking her, what did she do What, what, what was what she did? a good business relationship with Iran or bad business relationship Iran. And is is there anything in the ROC, which is record of the case, which is like a charging document, would tell me how I could rule because I need to know the standard. And surprisingly, the prosecution said, no, um, the ROC does not provide that answer. And <laughs> asked the judge <laughs> to use her own reasonable inference to determine what was considered sanctionable and what was not. Oh my goodness, I mean, these are material facts necessary to prove man committed fraud. I don't see how a trial of fact can ever determine whether the fraud count exists without the standards presented to her in a very convincing fashion. And even as low as the standard is, which is you know, prima facie evidence, I just don't see how the standard can be made up because it's so murky, so ambiguous, the charge just simply could not be made and uh, like i fear as trying. kj mentioned earlier that you know um if it's about politics and yeah she's she's guilty but if it is about the law and 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 you know the the treaty the conditions i just don't see how any judge can do that
0: yeah and it's also like um that's why i'm not optimistic about what the judge is going to eventually do whether it's in november or whenever she defers her judgment too because I could see <clears throat> I could see a judgment just like she did with double criminality she's gonna say basically uh, I don't think there's really any basis for fraud here there's been no harm and uh, HSBC knew but I'm gonna extradite anyway
2: like yeah that. she could do that you know <laughs> she has the discretion but it would be appealable because even the ministers of justice decision is appealable. And I, I don't know how an appellate court would look at that um, I think that uh, she she would have done so much better for herself and for justice had she owned up to the laws under the double criminality and follow it and 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 dispose of the case at that point I think in, in many ways I, I think that um, I think the countries would have appreciated it in some ways because <laughs> I know Trudeau would probably have appreciated it. Because he did his job, he he did he carried water for America, and is the judge, you know, in a reasonable yeah, but judgment, I mean, yeah. And the other thing is, no the kin- primer- evidence? And you know, Biden, um, uh, I think Biden would all could also have a, 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 a an escape because he said that this is a case that I inherited from Trump. What a you know, he dumped it on me, and now look what he did. Okay, his case don't even hold up. Of course, and people can say, yeah, you could have stopped it right away. But then people forgot about that. And uh, even the the Chinese netizens have been really um, poking holes. You know, in this case, uh, will we'll, uh, we'll, will 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 be pleasantly surprised that there is a, a law and justice here. But uh, who knows? Who knows what she's going to do? It is 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 just
0: unclear. The, yeah. the Canadian um, law also allows the immigration minister to just. Strike this down at any point. Like any, at point. any point. Yeah, like any yeah. minute now. And If can do it, it
2: at any time, even right yeah. today, this minute, the Minister of Justice can come and just say that we're ending this case. We're coming in to ask the uh, our Crown Counsel to dismiss the case. Matter had been settled. No, yeah? yeah. they, they, they they can dismiss the case in in uh, in America, and and that be and that would be and and ask the uh, uh, case to be dismissed. Yeah.
1: And there's ample evidence to do that. Everything shows, you know, the level of extraordinary contortion that is necessary to give even the modicum of judicial reasoning, uh, you know, to this case is, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's uh, getting, you know, cramps just watching, you (laughs) know, the legal reasoning going on. But uh, I think what it boils down to is it, 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 as I said before, what's on trial is uh, the Anglo-American system of justice and whether it is judicially independent or whether it is uh, a political tool to further political, geopolitical end. And it's clear based on everything that we've seen so far that it's this is a clearly a political trial. It's as political as, um, you know... Um, you know, any of a number of other political trials that are going on. Uh, and uh, essentially, when, uh, you know, Justice Heather Holmes ruled against Hmong in determining, in alleging double criminality, that is, she said that she had to imagine the environment as if Canada had sanctions on Iran, even though it doesn't. I mean, that. I think, kind of gave away the game. I think we're at a very, very dangerous place here. Uh, I think that, you know, the curtains have been pulled off, uh, you know, the judicial system. And I think that there are too many sunk costs. There's too much political Mm -hmm. sunk cost for the the judge or the Canadian uh, administration to back down.
2: Yeah, I think KJ summarized the... um... The reasons for dismissing the case really well. It's it's really ab- about the the, the uh, jurisdictional, uh, the lack of jurisdiction. Yeah. It's really about the lack of prima facie evidence. It's really about the abuse of process, uh, the complicity between Canadian border agents and the FBI office that that went beyond the diplomatic cha- um, uh, the channels that they were supposed to um, use. Material rep- misrepresentation of the facts and. And, 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 and just the failure of the um, Crown um, attorneys to uh, develop a prima facie case of fraud. But there were also a lot of, um, I think, abuse uh, against um, Hmong that people don't see, they don't, they don't see it, but given my experience, I, I noticed that right away. For example, um, uh, when she was taken before the judge, uh, the judge was not going to, after three months in jail, for which she had not been convicted of any crime, um, the judge finally set the bail at $10 million. Now, people who don't understand how bail is set should know that this amount is equivalent to the recommended amount the courts in the United States would set for someone who is accused of committing 10 murders. Okay, or, yeah, And in the United States courts, we have discretion to grant bail in a murder case. Usually it's no bail. But when we see see fit to do that, we will grant it. And the recommended bail guideline is $1 million for each murder. So in her case, the court set (laughs) the bail at 10 murders. And in addition, after seizing all her travel documents, she was required to hire three security officers at her own expenses to guard her 24-7 to prevent her escape. And um, it is again important to know that her extradition hearing is not a trial, and it is just to determine whether she should be extradited. So um, the judge probably saw that she has more discretion. But I think also uh, everybody is so, I guess, under the cloud that oh, this is a big case and it's about China, 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 and that racism, you know, comes into play. Uh, that you know we 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 have to treat them worse. Because it's China, okay, and because we are uh, here, all the all the Western, the Five eye countries are ganging up to contain China and its technology. So yeah, let's go harsh on them. And there is a lot of that going on that I see, and that is not right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's just yeah, like the, a lot of these things are are to humiliate and. And yeah, exact some sort of racist satisfaction out of it, it seems to me. Um, so, you know, the fact that towards the end, the judge said this is a weird fraud case because there's been no harm and people at HSBC knew. What, what do you think that means? Like, KJ, what, what do you think that means?
1: I think it would mean one of two things. One is that she may be signaling that she's going to reject uh, the request for extradition uh, because she clearly, anybody can see that this, this uh, case does not even meet the ham sandwich standard uh, that extradition uh, cases require. But uh, the other uh, possibility is that she's just kind of, uh, you know, showing that she has considered all aspects uh, of the case. She is you know, duly question the, uh, you know, the, the parties. And then she's going to wash her hands of it anyway. She's going to wash it in maple syrup. And then she's going to say, well, you know, uh, all of this is nice and good. It's, it's good evidence, but uh, it's not my job to adjudicate uh, the evidence. And, you know, good luck to the New York uh, District uh, Eastern Court. You know,
2: when we uh, see a case falling apart like this one, in ordinary cases, not talking about man's case, we usually try to encourage the parties to settle out of court. Or if it's a pretrial proceeding, um, then the courts should do everybody a favor and just um, terminate the proceedings at that point before it goes to trial. In felony cases in California, uh, the case would have a preliminary hearing to determine whether there's sufficient evidence to go to trial. And this was this at this juncture that we hear um, the, the prosecution make a case and develop the prima facie evidence to support the case going to trial. And a lot of times we would dismiss cases and dismiss charges when we don't see enough evidence. But then again, um, as KJ said, this is not that kind of a case. It's a very unusual case. So what this judge may be doing at this point is to post the case in this correct light, that there really is not enough evidence uh, to remind the Minister of Justice to act to dismiss the case or to push uh, for a settlement between uh, China and the United States. Uh,
0: so she's trying to get exactly it off her exactly maybe that that makes and that's
2: why she's putting it to way. October right to give a decision. Yeah. Plenty of time for the parties yeah. to work it out, you know. Plenty of time. Canada has, and it, it may, it may very well. So um, she is. I'm sure she is not. It's no fun being in her position. I don't envy her. She has on both of her, either side of her shoulders China and United States, and that you know, and your. Very smart and brilliant um, prime minister, you know, uh, <laughs> carrying water. So it is no 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 fun to be in her position. I don't think any judge, when they've been sworn into office, um, would anticipate hearing a case of this kind of d- dimension. It, it truly is um, is one of those cases that come in that come into your uh, chambers. Um, um, uh, it's a lifetime, maybe it's it's a lifetime chance, you know, to, to have that opportunity. And it is, it is not easy. So she is weighing her chips too. I mean, I, I think she's, she is also playing her, her, her her chest right now with, with the politics and we'll see where she goes.
0: But they're trying, like they're trying to, you know, Canada's, you know, wall to wall, like, Oh, we're being bullied, poor us. You know, we just kidnapped uh, this women and now people are saying mean things about us, uh, in China or whatever. Like they're trying to self victimize, but, um, I can't, Im- like China would be foolish to just like, let this go without, um, I don't know. Like they're what, like China, can't. China's going to have to respond somehow if, if the extradition proceeds. No, I mean, if not, if anything, like at least they'll have to think twice before People come to Canada. Yeah,
2: I read, um, I, I I watched um, a Chinese um, state a media, and um, and and I remember, I recall one of the um, uh, Chinese 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 person saying, making statement to the likes of I've never seen them make is almost a threat to Canada, that um, if Meng Wanzhou is not released, you know basically that you have hell to pay or something like that, and I've never seen them going to that level in any of the um, uh, communications with any country. But because this case is just so full of holes and and not supported by evidence, is a total abuse of uh, process uh, where discretion has not been exercised correctly. I can see China being really frustrated. And I'm also very disappointed at the um, mainstream media. Uh, They never reported Meng's case correctly and even in the case of the two Michaels, they always put it on an even-steven, like like it's like an um, equal bargaining thing. And it is not. They never spelled out, as I've seen in the Chinese media, the reasons why those Michaels were sentenced the way they, they did. And I'm, I'm just very disappointed with that.
1: Very briefly, Kovrig and Spavor, uh, whatever the merits of the case, they were arrested in China. They were not rendered From a third country, whatever they were doing or not doing, they were doing in China and they were tried and found guilty. None of those situations apply to Meng Wanzhou, so the cases are not comparable. Another case that people are trying to uh, throw in, you know, as uh, you know, more uh, examples of China's uh, victimizing Canada is that they're saying that uh, there was a drug dealer by the name of Robert Schellenberg. And he has received uh, uh, a death penalty. Well, I mean, the fact is he was smuggling methamphetamine. In China, 50 grams of methamphetamine will get you 15 years to death. Uh, Schellenberg had about 222 kilograms or uh, 4,400 times the threshold uh, for, you know, the death sentence. In Singapore, there's mandatory um, capital
2: punishment. (laughs)
1: Exactly. So these are not even remotely comparable cases. I mean, as we can see, Meng Wanzhou's case is a non-case. It's a kidnapping. Uh, She's uh, a mother of young children from whom she has been uh, separated from for over two years. Uh, And as you point out, you know, the Chinese have had this experience. Uh, Chairman Mao's wife was kidnapped, and it was the idea that if they kidnapped they would be able to demoralize Mao and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, uh, make him capitulate. That never happened. Uh, Mao drove, uh, you know, his enemies into, into the sea. Mm-hmm. And this language that China is using, that they will be held to pay. China is not like North Korea. All their diplomatic language is very, very polite and circumstant- mm-hmm. circumspect. The fact that they're using this kind of language, uh, I think, let's I think it should send a message to the Canadians that they have bit off far more than they can chew, and they need really need to reconsider this situation. Just purely on moral, ethical, legal grounds, you know, forget about the politics. Just common sense and 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 you know, basic uh, decency and ethics and jurisprudence. They need to toss this case out.
0: Well, it's incredible because. You know, I know a little bit about universities in Canada. I'm sure this is the case in the U.S. And I know it's the case in the U.K. Universities are, you know, governments are are providing less and less uh, funding per student for universities, including public universities, who are then trying to make up the gap in their their finances with foreign students. And most of these foreign students come from China. And so it's this perverse uh, thing where... Canada's, you know, in many of these institutions are more and more dependent on Chinese young people and their money and them wanting to come here and saying, you know, this is such a desirable place and maybe you can come and you can stay. And and then and then they, you know, outright kidnap some, you know, maybe if you do really well, you'll become, you know, the CEO or the CFO of a major corporation. Right. And then we'll kidnap you. And uh, hold you as a hostage in this kind of geopolitical uh, game. I mean, it's, I, I just, I don't, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing even the sacrifices that the Canadian elite are willing to make.
1: To yes, do it's whatever
0: all, the U.S. wants.
1: I mean, it's so short-sighted. I mean, the neoliberal university was implemented to prevent critical thought among yes. students. And now they've taken this to its logical extreme where they will either destroy the university by undercutting its key uh, revenue stream yeah. or they can refund their universities and perhaps, you know, over a few generations we'll start to have another generation of critical thinkers. But either way, they're undercutting themselves.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I mean, in China, China's universities are only getting better. So I mean, this is what I mean, like long term. I don't know, like long term, this is this can only lead to like China's not going to be subject as not going to subjugate itself because they kidnapped an important woman from China. They're not going to just they're not going to give Huawei away. They're not going to stop doing business with Iran or, or, you know, Syria or, or whatever. They're going to they're going to endure this. And so the only possible big long-term thing is less less relations between Canada and the US on the one hand and China and the other. Justin, too. maybe you can Absolutely. tell me
2: something. Um, why do you think Trudeau do what he did? I mean, after all, um, so many countries um, declined the request from America to extradite yeah. Meng Wanzhou. I mean, between, I think, September to... November of 2018, she passed through many countries, um, six or seven countries, but all of them had been asked to um, extradite her and they all say no. But why did Trudeau do that? I mean, I, I know that he was afraid of um, Trump because Trump had made funny comments about him and and he just took it. But why, why would he do that? What is...
0: What, Honestly, I racked my brain to think of why and I concluded after reading the Pierucci book that I think on behalf of the Canadian business elite, Trudeau probably is thinking if if the Treasury decides to do this to some Canadian executives because we didn't do this to Huawei, then that'll be really bad us i mean they're willing to do it to france they're willing to do it to germany you know maybe they're willing to do it to canada and then canada could find itself in the position of handing over one of its massive into you know snc lavalin or one of its flagship bombardier you know corporations to the us um because you know because they angered them over it's interesting
2: this. well then because man she traveled to france britain Ireland, Poland, Singapore, Japan and Belgium and the, <laughs> yeah. and the United States asked dozens are. of other governments to detain her but none of them stooped to this dangerous and self-destructive idea yeah. until young Trudeau took the bait and yeah. put the country and his people at the risk of warring with China. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I I wouldn't overthink it, uh Justin. I think I think the the most charitable explanation is what I refer to as the poodle theory yeah. of uh, foreign relations.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, there's also just the simple reflex of, "Oh, the Americans have asked us for something. We better do it." Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so is there anything else? I mean, you know, there is a campaign to free Meng Wanzhou in Canada, and it's, uh, you know, very serious. We've, I think many of us have participated in some events uh, of theirs.
1: Yes, I think um, the, the Hamilton Coalition and other organizations are doing dedicated, uh, excellent work on that. Uh, hopefully, uh, Canada being, uh, you know, having nominal pretensions to being a democracy uh, might listen. I'm hoping. I'm,
0: well there you know. is an election. I mean the, the right. sad thing about the election is that you know can the, the discourse on China and Canada is so racist mm-hmm. that the only way to make headway in the election will be by showing off how tough you are towards China I think and uh, so I don't I don't think I don't think it's a good election issue in the sense of trying to take advantage of it. To get right. To and when's the
2: election, election? Justin? It'll be the
0: opposite. I think it's September 20th. November twentieth. 20th, did you say? So, or oh, September twentieth. Uh-huh. We have a very short. Uh-huh. Yeah, we have a very short. Uh, it's not like the U.S. where the election very smart <laughs> season is two. Very years smart <laughs> of the judge to put the
2: um, the decision to October.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not. That's no, not, an not at, all. at all. So she's she's yeah.
2: counting the chips. <laughs>
0: But I mean, in, she's clearly,
1: the- she knows exactly mm-hmm. what's going
0: on. Yes. So in, in Canada, the, yeah, the elections on September 20th and right now, I mean, Trudeau called the election because he thinks he can, um, win, uh, a majority. So they've got a minority government with, uh, with the social democratic NDP, which, you know, is probably why we had a decent, uh, package for you know during covid we you know we had some income support for people to stay home and so on probably thanks to that minority government but right now you know the the trudeau liberals think they may be able to win a majority um again i don't know what they think (laughs) what they think they're going to do after the election on the i mean it's just like if they were going to do the right thing they could have done it at any point which is why i'm so, you know, I look at this with such, you know, concern and worry, which is that, you know, why why do the right thing now uh, than when you weren't doing it before? I,
1: I, right. I, I think there may be some other uh, pressures that could be bought. Uh, if okay. uh, the sentencing for um, a covrig is announced, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that may put more pressure uh, on right. uh, on the... Canadian government. Uh, And, you know, as you point out, you know, they've tied themselves down to this millstone. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, they really need to let go of it uh, sooner Mm -hmm. or later. And they have to remember, you know, Mao did not give up when his wife was Mm -hmm. tortured and killed. The Chinese government is not Mm -hmm. going to give up. Huawei is stronger than ever, and the Chinese are growing, and they're becoming more and more powerful, and they are not going to to forget this the Chinese have a long memory uh, yeah. you know the 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 West you know is you know is con is, is in constant amnesia but yeah. the Chinese have
0: long memories yeah you're not you're not gonna get a, another century of humiliation out of China that's not gonna
2: happen by the same token China is very um, honorable and loyal to the countries and people that are uh, that are good to them like Nixon whom who is almost public enemy number one, you know, in American's mind. And he did a lot of bad things. But one of the things that he did for China, and that's to normalize the relationship uh, with China, China has never forgotten him. They invited him back to China for a very nice visit after he he resigned. And they continue to honor him in in many ways. So so China remembers uh, their friends. And they, they are a very loyal country, and they stick with their friends. But unfortunately, they will also remember, and um, what happened uh, in this instance. Um, I hope that it doesn't have to be that way. But um, China will be strong, and they will stick to their honor and 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 what they need to do for their own people.
1: Yes, but but they cannot disregard mm-hmm. this. This would take them right back. To the century yeah. of humiliation this would take them back to you know the warlord period they are done yeah. with that they're not going to allow this to happen to continue yeah.